Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Room 104 podcast with Cormac Moore and Sir Shalon. FM 104. Is there anything positive coming no, out of No, no, nothing. miserable. Let's just get miserable for the last hour of the show. <clears throat> so, cars are one of the biggest problems for emissions and all that. Yeah, yeah. But what's worse than cars? Poo. Mm, you're not too far off. Sewage. Nope. Um, what is worse than cars? Chimneys. No, you're getting a little bit further away. Uh, apparently... Farts. Farting. Mm, Burping? N- maybe yes, maybe no. In this particular case, turns out that wild pigs oh. are horrifically bad for the environment. Wild pigs? So, wild pigs apparently uproot soil. So, they go around digging up soil and putting their nose in filth and getting all mucky. Yeah, yeah. Living life. But it turns out that uprooting the soil releases loads of carbon dioxide. Because the soil and the earth and the grass traps loads of CO2. Okay. And when they go and uproot it, yeah. it releases it all back in the atmosphere. Which is bad. Which is what we don't want to happen. We need to take it all out of the atmosphere. Yeah. And uh, it turns out that f- some smart people in the University of Queensland did some modelling, did some mapping, did some trying to figure out just how much wild pigs contribute to the CO2 problem. And it turns out that every year they release the equivalent of 1.1 million cars into the atmosphere. So wild Wild pigs, pigs lads. You drive your diesel or your GTI or your your 5 litre Mercedes. And you don't feel bad or guilty about that. You blame the pigs. You blame the pigs. You say if the pigs all over the world would stop just wrecking the ground, we'd be fine. So what do we do with them? I don't know. Do we eat wild pigs? I don't know. Like, is it wild rushers or... <laughs> you get a bit of Galti wild. Yeah. Free range wild. I don't know, I'm sure some people do, but... Anyway, 4.9 million metric tonnes of carbon dioxide every year worldwide are released by wild pigs who are digging up the ground. Ayo. Shocking. And now, don't go on holidays. What about the wild pigs? Yeah, well, the car. What are you doing to them? Exactly, yeah. You're going to ground them? Yeah. Oh, no, be driving like Can you car. stop yeah. rolling in muck, please, just for yeah. a second? Just, just no? thanks very much, wild pigs. I'll so, just be normal for a second. Yeah. So there you go. Okay. That's not good. No. Nope. Uh, moving on. Mm. What shape is the universe? 
Nobody knows for sure. No one does know. But when you imagine the entire universe, so we know our planet is a sphere, a round ball floating in space. Yeah. And then we get a little bit bigger and you've ever seen pictures of like the Milky Way, just looks like a kind of fancy gassy disc. Yeah. And then there's millions of them all over the place. What does the universe look like if you were to be God and zoom out and see the entire use, the entire well, it's universe? it's not circular. How do you know? It's not, I don't think it's circular. I think it's rigid. It's rigid, <laughs> rigid edges. What do you mean it's got rigid? So you think there's a wall? I think there could be a wall there now, yeah. Could be a wall. Hello? We don't know. This is the end of the universe. Have Hello? you seen Who's the universe? There? No. Hello? No. If you were God, you were zoomed out, it could be any shape. Could be any shape. Could be big balls. <laughs> We don't know. <laughs> the entire universe is taking place inside a hamster's balls. No, I genuinely don't know. No, no one does. No one has a clue. And we're not meant to know. But. Oh. But. Are, are they droning the, something? Yeah, they got a little drone that she's going to send out <laughs> for like a million years and hopefully they wouldn't even get to the edge of the universe. One of the, the th- shapes that they think it is is just l- kind of like a big massive Sphery circular thing that's constantly expanding, like a like giant a balloon, spaceship. No, like a giant balloon, a very, very big balloon. Because I think after the Big Bang, everything exploded in every direction, yeah. And it's just constantly like that, and that's what they think the shape of the universe is. One massive, 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 massive. Just a balloon. Balloon. Let's just call it a balloon for the crack, right? Kind of looks like that. But now they think it's a donut. Oh, delicious! I know. That's what I was thinking. Spaceship. Like I think a spaceship is like a donut shape. A donut yeah? spaceship. With a little hole in the middle. With a hole in the middle of it, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's what they think it is. That's the best way you can describe it to it. They're, they're calling it a gigantic cosmic donut. European scientists have said by their imaging and their mathematics and everything else, they think the universe may be expanding, may not be expanding outwards in all directions, but it might be rolled around itself like a giant cosmic donut. Now, I hate to go off topic and I'm just going to quickly go off topic. I had a Kinder Bueno, a white Kinder Bueno donut today. It was unbelievable. You'd never think of getting a white donut, chocolate donut. No, do it, wouldn't. do it tomorrow. Did one of those have a hole in it or was it just with cream on top? Had a, had a hole in it. Oh, white Kinder Bueno. Yeah. Unreal. Anyway, continue this, uh, on. So donuts are good. That's a good thing. Yeah, so maybe that's why we love donuts so much is because our, our universe is shaped like a donut with the hole in the middle of it. And apparently it could mean that the universe is smaller than what we thought it was. Okay. But again... We that's don't a, know. Mm. We, we don't know. It mm. could be a rigid wall and that's the end of it. Who knows? Right. But that's the latest to come out. Some European scientists published in a report on live science. If you want to go and check that one out. Uh, moving on. This is a bit of a sad story, I think. But a Monsignor, who was the top administrator of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, had his phone hacked. Oh, it's kind of like um, your man, the the Pope. Wasn't the Pope that was uh, sending filthy messages? Don't know someone if it was hacked the Pope. in. Someone hacked into his account. Remember? No. Who was that? He liked uh, influencers' picture. Yeah, it wasn't him though. Someone oh, hacked w- into his account as well. Him. <laughs> Do you remember that? They're always hacking into the Pope's accounts. So this uh, this Monsignor, it, it is kind of sad. Uh, his phone got hacked. Yeah. And it turns out that this Monsignor of the Catholic Church, who was a Catholic bishop. Mm or the, the, the Monsignor of the Conference of Catholic Bishops. Uh, and he had to resign. What's he liking? Because he was frequently going to gay bars and was on Grinder. Ah, okay. Mm. Okay. Which yeah. obviously isn't allowed in his... Well, that's the thing. I mean, one, I think it's kind of sad that... It is sad, You still yeah. can't be gay and a priest. 100%, yeah. Obviously, in their little rule book, they're like, no, 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 can't do that. They're very much... 
promoting a traditional family of a man and a woman. And even in, if you read some of the... Which is completely wrong. I'm sorry, um, it just is. I'm going to put that out there. Well, I mean, it, 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 under the equality laws, they have every right to practice their religion freely, and that's their rules. I know, but it is sad. It's sad that this guy can't just be who he wants he can't to be. Exactly, yeah. So, um, it's raised that question, like, should you have to resign your position because of your sexuality? Absolutely bloody not. But then again, if you're in the church, what? And they have them explicit rules about not really liking gay people. I don't agree with the church, though. Or a gay lifestyle, I should say. They promote man and woman, and in the Bible it says, man shall not lie with man, and they don't like that. Anyway, uh, his phone was hacked, the information was leaked online, and he has now since resigned, lost his job, because it turns out that this priest uh, was a gay man, and he was going to gay bars, and was on Grinder. That angers me so much, that he's lost his job over that. That's angering me. In 2021, get a grip. I mean, Jesus, Jesus is all about forgiveness. Get a grip, yeah. Jesus is all about forgiveness. And going out with the lads. Sure, he'd no girlfriends. Yeah, of course he is, yeah. Anyway. All, all about forgiveness. Yet this man has lost his job over his sexuality. Yep. Wow. Be interesting. Like, I wonder, if that happened over here, right? Let's say you were working, in, you were employed by the church over here and in a similar way it came out. Or you were, you were yeah, Monsignor working for the church and you had to resign. Because on the one hand, you can't be discriminated against based on your sexuality in any job at all. But then on the other hand, you're, you know, your religion is free to practice its rules and its laws, which are discriminating and they don't really support new forms of marriage or same-sex marriages, should I say. Anyway, we could be... You could be here all night. Hours doing that. And it, it could be years and years and years before they actually change. Yeah. If they ever do. Anyway, Jeffrey Burl, Monsignor Jeffrey Burl, uh, stepped down after his phone was hacked and that information was brought to light. I'm sure there'll be more on that over the next coming days and weeks as well. Now, you know the way we hate men? Who hates men? I Uh, love men. Everyone hates men. And there's another reason for you to add to the why we should hate men. But I don't hate men. You see, that's the thing. I actually have had good experiences with men. No, you haven't. Some men. Some men, yeah. Um, Yeah, but like I said, for the most part... It was me that... <laughs> you were the contributing I factor. I was the contributing yeah. factor and I was wanting to get out of there ASAP. But I'm just saying, for the most part, the men in my lives, I have lovely brothers. Yeah, very good. You know, dad, uncles, you know, the usual. Mm, yeah. anyway. I have no problem with you men. Uh, anyway, the world has a problem with us men because men contribute more to global warming than women do. Oh. Mm. Why? How? A Swedish team was comparing the spending habits of men and women on consumer products and what type of consumer products and what those consumer products have or what their impact is on the environment. Now, men spend 2% more on consumer goods than women do. This is based on the Swedish study, by the way. But men's spending contributes 16% more carbon emissions than women's. Because what do men like spending their money on? Cars. Cars. Mm -hmm. Lads like buying their nice, fast, speedy cars. So for one, they're worse for the environment and two you wind up spending more money on petrol so those two of those things combined amongst a lot of other factors uh, so we just ban men ban men I think we're fine yeah, yeah I think that would work uh, so cars is the main one and the other thing we talked about last week as well is that because it's seen as being very manly to eat meat we spend more of our money on meat which then contributes more to the the meat farming problem that we have and the uh, 
impact, negative impact that that has on the environment as well. That's remind me, I haven't had a fillet steak in ages. You're gonna have to get on that. I love bloody I know. steak. So, yeah, we spend more money on cars, and therefore, gasoline. Although I would say women travel more than men. Think of all the travel bloggers you know. None of them are men. Think all the Insta hunter of like, I'm just saying Sandrine. No, but you see, you're only saying that now because you wouldn't be following the men. You're probably following the women. There are. Are you. No. Sorry, you're you're engaged no. to be married. You don't follow any other women. Back up, Saoirse. <laughs> Get me in trouble here. Get me in a lot of trouble. No, there would be men influencing around the place. No, there's no travel blog. They're trying to influence. There's no. They just do not look good in a bikini under a waterfall. So they, no they one follows them. They try their best. I know they can't. But yeah. Anyway. Anyway, that's it. More men are causing damage to the environment than women, apparently because we like cars and we like meat and we like petrol. Um, and that's bad. Uh, but fine. no, that's perfect. Just ban... Ban men. Ban all men. Yeah. I think we're doing it. Hashtag not all men, but this time, yeah, it is all men. Yeah. Apparently that holds up across the world as well. We spend slightly more on cars and things like that. So therefore, cars and meat. So our our carbon footprint or our negative impact is, is more than women's. But again, you spend more money on clothes. I love clothes. But that's what I mean, like... That's the manufacture and transport of clothes. No. I don't. I don't buy this study. We'll dig a little deeper next week. Uh, okay, rapper Lil Uzi Ver. Who? Uzi Vert. I'm going to say Ver as in V E R T. Lil, Lil Uzi Ver. Okay. Um, he's mega rich, obviously. I don't know how rich he is. I've never heard of him. Maybe he's a wannabe rich guy. No, he's not, because apparently he embedded a 24 million diamond into his fart. <laughs> <laughs> What? Yeah, he wants to buy the gas giant exoplanet Wasp One Twenty Seven B. Some people are too rich. Yeah, he's um. Why would you need this? He's a bit of an odd lad. He wants to buy this planet. Yeah. He's also embedded that diamond into his head, and he has vowed, along with the uh, rapper Grimes, to embed computer chips into his brain to obtain knowledge of the gods next year. And he has announced on his Twitter that he's going to be buying this planet. Mm. And it's going to be the first of its kind and he's going to own it. Unfortunately, though, there is space law. Oh. There is treaties in space, I think, but some major countries. There's space law. Tonight on space law. Really? <laughs> law and order, space units. Weird. Get off my planet. Um, so apparently you cannot, as of yet, buy a planet. Now, that hasn't stopped explorers before. Like Obviously, Christopher Columbus didn't buy America he just conquered it mm. and that's what everyone does conquer it so if you have enough money if you have an army you can probably go conquer whatever plant you want and then you will own it and that's that's how we're here in civilization today but said he, he mentioned this recently saying he wants to buy this and Grimes who's the other rapper who's probably a little bit more well known than him has, has quote tweeted him and said apparently little Uzi Ver owns this planet now just a heads up and that's what's going to happen he's planning on buying a planet Oh, who do you buy it from, though? Yeah, like, I just want to buy that planet over there. I'm going into myhome.ie. Yeah, Filter. Exoplanets. Might be cheaper than trying to play in Dublin, though, would it? Do you know what? Probably would be. Wouldn't put a past them. As well. Wouldn't put a past them. The spacious Exoplanet 127B comes with all mod cons, loads of gas, tempered warm climate as well, and water. Anyway, that's Control-Alt-Delete. If you, uh... You're listening to the Room 104 podcast with Cormac Moore and Sir Shalon. FM 104. Yeah. After the show, yep. I drove into town. I nearly drove up on the Lewis track by accident on O'Connell Street because I couldn't remember where the road was. It kind of 
disappeared off all for McDonald's, went to Grafton Street, closed. Like, do you think if somebody gets himself, like, if, if you were at home, it's nine o'clock, it's ten o'clock. Yeah. And herself or himself comes home with a takeaway just for themselves and didn't oh, say anything. That's so rude. But that's, that's a dumpable so offence, isn't it? It's, it's that's the relationship's over at that stage. Self-centred, self-obsessed. They don't care. If you were falling off a cliff, they'd probably push you. Like I, I just got a message there from the car. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. From herself, yeah? From herself, in the drive-thru. Yeah. And the, the message wasn't, do you want me to pick you up, Ben? And it was more like, haha. Yeah. Is she on her own? No, she's with her sister. Yeah. <laughs> You're not there. You're not the company. Maybe if she was on her own, she might have thought about you, but she I don't, didn't. I, 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 I think I think the wedding's off. I would call it off. Yeah. I'd call it off. I think that's a. Pure, that, I think that's fine. How long are you going to? Do, do, too long. Only only eight years. Too long. No, it's about nine. Nick. I think is it, it is. Nine years. Could now? we? Could we? Ten, could, we yeah, could we? Ten in September. It's ten in September. No, it's nine. Nine years. And it's just that. I'd never put up with that. Yeah. When did she? She's my. I mean, she could cheat on you all she wanted, and you wouldn't care. But the McDonald's. Like. And she's like, it'll be cold by the time you get it. Cold McDonald's is amazing. No, I disagree, but you can I always use your microwave now. Cold McDonald's. A cold Big Mac, cold chicken nuggets, cold milkshake, bang in the fridge. The shocked. milkshake, obviously. But shocked and horrified. She's that. not on. Now, is she the type of person that will pretend she bought you nothing and you'll go home and it will be sitting there nice and warm? Oh. <laughs> There's a... Oh, see? Probably not. But now you have to get my hopes up. And I don't know. Now, do I go home and risk it? And then realise that she's actually... Then kick her out of the scum. house. Scum. I would yeah. literally be like, get your stuff, leave. See that pipe. We're done. Just set on fire. Yeah. Bye now. But see, if she did that now, I'd marry her tomorrow. There's that. Skip everything. Skip COVID. Just you and her. Get no, married immediately. No. If, if, she got, if she surprised you McDonald's, marry the girl. No, I mean, you can't have to give three three months notice to the registry office before oh, you do can you? do that. Oh, yeah. okay. But like, there's that. Just, just getting takeaway for yourself and no one else. That's a sackable offence. Yeah. There's also like watching a few episodes ahead of a oh, series you're watching. I get very upset about that. Sackable offence. Yeah. What else is a sackable offence? Because you feel like you can't watch that without me. And now you've just done that. So what else can you do? What else are you capable of doing <laughs> if you can go behind my back and watch a TV show? 
There's also what else are like deal breakers? Secret um, takeaway, secretly watching ahead in a TV series. Mm. Let's do the main ones. I can't think of anything else on the top of my head. Like, oh, if you went out and got a 99 on your own. It's all food related. A little bit. This is is food related, yeah. That kind of thing. Anything else wouldn't really bother me. Do you want to go to the cinema to see a movie with someone else? Yeah, depending on what it was, though. Riding your best mate. Definite deal breaker. Most of the time. Yeah, if they're riding your best mate, it would be a bit annoying. Definitely. Um, Listen, if you can think of any other ones that, that like either food related or TV related or just deal breakers you're like nah that's just not on I actually don't know I'm trying to think now yeah, I don't know what why. else would really annoy me you know me pretty well but stage. like the, the whole thing with the, the boujum thing like if they got themselves a boujum didn't say it to you but that's the takeaway it's a takeaway but yeah. is, that, is that really shallow for me do I only care about food yeah that's it mm-hmm. anything else I don't care not really no I'd be happy to let them go mm. Jesus that's bad isn't it Anyway, if you can think of any others, do let us know. Uh, we'll be chatting to one of uh, Scotland Yard's first ever undercover police officers and some of the most dodgy situations he has found himself in over the years. Now retired, had to come into witness protection. Crazy story. The Kid Leroy on the way shortly as well. And picture this LA house party that's on the... You're listening to the Room 104 podcast with Cormac Moore and Sir Long. FM 104. This party, Cormac and Saoirse here on Room 104 with Play Blue. You can see what takes your fancy at playblue.ie. Uh, you know you want to. A couple of messages we failed to get back to earlier on. We were talking about the lost art of knocking into your neighbours for a cup of milk or sugar or butter when you have... Um, when you've run out I don't think people do it anymore but maybe I stand corrected Fiona got in touch and said I don't currently do it but my parents do um, and I plan on doing it when I might move into my own place um, every now and then I do it to especially if there's elderly people and people living alone they'll be delighted with the company that's nice it is nice that is nice and I do appreciate that but I'm not a nice person so, yeah again so she's not a nice person you unfortunately know? you'd never do that I'd never do that no. um, Johnny what is the crack Johnny's gone in touch and said I live in a close knit community it's for disabled people so we all get something if we need it off each other Jonathan from Dublin that's really nice I like that sound people who are looking after each other so yeah. may- maybe it's still kind of done a little bit yeah I mean it obviously is depending on where you're living but in an apartment, it's it's quite difficult. Apartment block where people just don't talk to each other at all. They don't know each other that um, well. If you're rich and you live in a big gated community and you don't talk to each other at all either, yeah, not happening. Not happening. But do people do people still do it? I have never, I haven't seen it in a long time. I saw my neighbours doing it with bananas earlier on. And I was like, oh yeah, do people still pop in and go, can I have a thing? I don't know. I didn't think they did, but look, we've been proven wrong. There we go, indeed. Um, reminder as well, tomorrow night, Shock Chocks is back. If you want to win yourself a free takeaway, 20 euro Just Eat voucher could be yours. All you need to do is come on and uh, play our head-to-head quiz. Just every question that you get wrong, we get electrocuted because there's a shock collar around our throats. On the way next, one of Scotland Yard's first ever undercover police officers on his insanely dangerous life that obviously ended up with death threats and him in witness. You're listening to the Room 104 podcast with Cormac Moore and Sir Long. FM 104. Cormac here. Good evening. Um, sometimes on the job you can make certain mistakes and things can go bad. You know, usually office jobs doesn't really matter that much. But what if you're in a job where mistakes can... Well, it nearly cost you your life or have serious repercussions. Joining us now to talk about his life as one of the founding members of Scotland Yard's undercover units, someone who has also authored a book, it's called Manhunt, Manhunt about his uh, search for a suspected killer 
who's been on the run since 2005. We're delighted to welcome onto the show an incredibly interesting man with an incredibly interesting story. Peter Blexley, sir, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Lovely to join you tonight. An undercover cop has experienced a lot more than the average person. Can you just take us back to where this kind of job came from, why you wanted to get into this and what happened? Certainly, but we've got to go back a long time, unfortunately, because I'm that old, you see. So we'll rewind back to the mid-1980s. I was a young, fit and fearless detective, and uh, my ambition was to be a Scotland Yard detective, and I was lucky enough to achieve that. And I walked through the revolving doors at New Scotland Yard in central London with my shoulders back and my chest puffed out, rather pleased with myself. And there I got a very early insight into how that current breed of cops were were doing the undercover work. And the first experience I had of that was watching them in action. And I thought to myself, well, they made a bit of a pig's ear of that operation. And I think I could could give it a go and perhaps perhaps do it a bit better. And um, so the next time an undercover case came into the office and the detective inspector swaggered down, my arm shot up like a primary school kid knowing the answer to a teacher's question and um and so began a really wild decade or more of pretending to be a drug dealer an arms dealer an assassin a dealer in all sorts of stolen and counterfeit gear um yeah and it was quite a journey I just don't think I'd have the balls to be able to to do that because it must take a certain type of person to be able to act or become or or not waver because I'm sure you found yourself in situations where, you know, I'm sure these criminals don't ask you to verify your job with a form and a piece of ID. I'm sure they put you under a little bit more pressure than that. Like you, it must require a certain type of person to be able to do this job effectively. Well, you're a professional liar. So you've got to be very convincing. Your backstory or your legend, as people would call it, has to be watertight. And in order for you to carry that off, you've got to stick to something which is pretty close to the truth. Because, of course, the easiest lie to remember is the one that's closest to the truth. Now, I'm from South London, and it's fair to say I wasn't a model pupil at school and I got involved in some uh, low-level criminal stupidity before I joined the police cadets. So, yeah, I was a bit of a noik, and that was kind of the personality that I portrayed. I was a bit anti-establishment. I was a bit cocky to an extent. I was able, fortunately, to think on my feet and be very creative, which is also extremely helpful. And, yeah, as, as I said a few moments ago, I was pretty fearless, probably mostly born out of stupidity, if the truth be known. Um, yeah, I'm young, fit and fearless and good at lying. Why not? I had the attributes. But I guess it's a very dangerous job. Like You must have been in situations where your life was at risk. There was plenty of unpleasantness because what we were doing was very high stakes illegal business, or so the bad guys thought. Um, and we all knew, no matter, despite the fact that I was essentially buying the commodities that they had, and they, of course, wanted what I had, which was lots of cash, we all knew that if it went wrong and the police arrested us, we'd all be staring down the barrel of significant jail terms. And that does tend to focus people's attention and, and make people very determined not to get caught. Now, that being the case... I get put in front of them and I'm introduced to them by a friend or a friend of a friend, or maybe they just get to know me because I've been drinking in the same bar as them for weeks or months. And there's an air of suspicion. Well, who is this bloke? None of us went to school with him. 
we're not related to him. He's not the best mate of a best mate. So they quite often would put me up against the wall of the gents' toilet and search me to see if I was wearing a wire, to see if I had anything on me that would sort of dismantle my story. And of course I didn't. Yeah, so high stakes, high octane, high adrenaline, and sometimes there was some rank unpleasantness going on. But it went with the territory. It's what you expect. And I kind of thrived on it. I love that phrase, you know, um, just it, it tidies it up nicely. But I'm sure you've probably, have you been beaten up? Have you been attacked? Have you had to take a few punches to kind of convince people of, uh, you know, your cover story? Well, at the start of my undercover career, I was the Metropolitan Police's light heavyweight boxing representative. So it's fair to say I could shift some furniture and I wasn't <laughs> overly afraid of going toe to toe with someone. But that's the last thing you want your life is potentially at risk so i spent more time de-escalating situations and trying to take the tension out of them than i ever did by up in the ante that was really not a very good idea at all and what was a day in the life of peter like okay get up invariably crack the dawn go into work and wait for an undercover job to come in. We had plenty of other things to be doing in the meantime, like more traditional police work, like surveillance and kicking in doors and all of that. Although I had to be very selective whose doors I did kick in so that I didn't actually get involved in an investigation, which was looking at part of an organisation. So you had to be very cautious around that. Invariably, the meetings with the bad guys would be in the afternoon or the evening. So, and sometimes it was pubs or clubs, bars, restaurants. Sometimes it was in people's flats or houses or their mock Tudor mansion on the outskirts of London, for example, with Mercedes and BMWs on the driveway. There, there was no typical day, to be perfectly frank, because the variety of people that I operated against were, was a wide one. The types of crimes that I was working undercover to try and combat were, were wide, although the majority of my work was um, trying to dismantle global and uh, large-scale drug importations and distribution networks. And then on some occasion, I would be sitting in a hotel in front of a disgruntled wife who would be saying, yes, I want you to murder my husband. I definitely, definitely want him dead. And I've been told you're the man for the job. And then, of course, I would enter into negotiations about price, how it would be done, all the while, of course, gathering enough evidence so that that wife or husband or business associate, whoever it was that wanted somebody dead, could end up in court charged with conspiracy to murder. And the most exciting thing I think we've done today is edit an audio file. Your your life might, might be millions of times um, more intense. What was one of the most like serious situations you found yourself in? Because I think we're all familiar with the movie's portrayal of undercover cops setting up drug stings and things like that. But what, what was the, the most maybe dangerous and intense moment you found yourself in over your career? Because the people that supported me were equally as important and often equally, if not more courageous than me. For example, the technical guys that would find their way in the dead of night into the premises where I was going to negotiate and they would plant their bugs, their listening devices. Those people were every inch, if not more, courageous than me. And so were the tech guys and girls that would be monitoring it and ensuring that the providence of that 
recorded information mm. was absolutely spot on. So it couldn't be given at court only for a defendant's smart lawyer to argue that it had been tampered with in some way, shape or form. The men and women that did the surveillance who would follow the suspects from the meeting that I had with them were just as courageous and brilliant, even though they were specialists in a very different field. So I wouldn't at any stage sort of countenance any kind of there being a scale of who's braver than the other. Everyone had their role to play. I was far from a one-man band on a glory-seeking mission. The most catastrophic operation that I was involved in was the one which essentially, some years later, brought a premature end to my police career and uh, was the catalyst for a major and catastrophic mental health breakdown. I was introduced with uh, an undercover guy from the customs to a bunch of crooks who had global, international links to organised crime and were terrorism funded. Um, so much so that when they were offering us huge quantities of heroin for sale, they said they would be willing to accept firearms instead of cash for payment. So that gave you some kind of level of, of, of what they were up to. To cut a very long story short, and the long story can be read in my autobiography, The Gangbuster, forgive the plug, but, you know. <laughs> Eventually, when, when the, what then was the largest seizure of heroin in mainland UK was delivered to me at a hotel in Gatwick Airport and arrests were made. The bad guys, as they languished in prison cells awaiting trial, quickly figured out that I must have been an undercover cop because I'd been arrested with them and handcuffed, forced to the ground by armed police, but I wasn't in the dock with them. And they then worked on the theory that if they killed me, they killed the evidence. And to a point, they were right. The FBI picked up on that plot to kill me on a phone tap that they had in Boston, Massachusetts. And then uh, another catastrophe in connection with this case was that a report was compiled detailing everything that had gone on in this operation. It was complex. It involved the police from various countries abroad, the FBI, the Drug Enforcement Agency in America, Customs Police, all of that. A report was compiled which detailed everything that had gone on in this operation, including lots of infighting between different different law enforcement agencies. Now, there's a surprise, eh? <laughs> um, and ludicrously and dangerously, the author of that report put my real name in that report. Now, I've got an unusual surname. B-L-E-K-S-L-E-Y. I think there's only about 14 of them in the UK, and I've fathered most of them. No, 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 no. <laughs> only three of them. Only three of them, I promise. And um, and this report, so not only did it have my real name instead of my code number in that report, that report was then printed off, taken out of police premises, put into an unmarked police car, none of which should have happened, and then to cap it all off, the detective driving that unmarked police car happened to go shopping on the way home. And I bet all your listeners can guess what happened next. Correct. That car got broken into. That report got stolen. So when you marry those two things together, the report with my real name and the pre-existing plot to kill me, if those two come together, I would be easy to find and easy to kill. And as I was driving home one night from work, one of the bosses at Scotland Yard rang me up and said, don't go home. And I said, why not? I said, be at the yard, nine o'clock tomorrow morning, we'll tell you all about it. But for now, move into a hotel using a false identity, get your girlfriend out of there, get her to pack you an overnight bag, do not go 
Well, the following day, I got to the yard, not at nine o'clock. I'm a detective. I got there at eight, of course. And my mate slipped me a copy of the report. And he said, if you haven't read this, you really need to. And you need to keep that report. You might just need it in the future. By the close of play on that day, it had been decided that I had to be instantly parachuted into the witness protection program. So I abandoned my life, my home, the life that I lived and loved and became a completely different person many miles from where I had previously lived. And that was a nightmare. That's incredible. And how long ago was that? Uh, That was 1993. And I lived in witness protection for two years. And during those two years, every night, whenever I got home, I would sit there thinking, how did it come to this? I would conspiracy theorise, of course, about why the report was written, my name and it, stolen, all of that. How did this happen? Is there some kind of plot? Mm. Coupled Coupled with the stresses of living in the witness protection programme, so I have to lie about everything. I mean, absolutely everything. Coupled with the fact that, believe it or not, the Metropolitan Police still wanted me to work undercover. I mean, it was just, uh, there was no forethought or foresight or planning, of course. It was catastrophic. And I played a part in my own downfall. And that was that I drank too much and I smoked too much, which is often happens to people who have suffered great trauma because you kind of self-medicate through those things, which, of course, is very, very damaging. And so eventually my mental health deteriorated so appallingly that I became not only a danger to myself, but to others. And I was um, admitted to a lock-in psychiatric ward. And that kind of signified the beginning of the end of my police career. When... Was the risk deemed low enough for you to, I suppose, exit, exit witness protection? Okay, well, when I was in the hospital, the, the wonderful psychiatrist from the NHS treated me, who I trusted. Um, I'd previously been sent one in the in who was a private practitioner, and I didn't trust him at all. Um, but the, the wonderful NHS psychiatrist, a man of great compassion and knowledge, um, said, look, Peter, if you ever want to become well again, You have to stop being all these other identities and be and remain Peter Blexley, regardless of the risks, or else you're just not going to get better. And so, of course, that was advice that I just had to follow. And I did. And it it wasn't a swift and an easy route to become well again. It It was a long kind of laborious, difficult path. But I did, you know, and to this day, I live life to the full. I'm very well. My mental health is robust. I still take a tiny dose of medication, just a maintenance dose. There's no shame in that. Do whatever you need to do to keep your mental health robust or or regain it Um, and talk about it and talk to people. Those things are so, so important. There is no shame in having mental health issues. Let me just reiterate that. There really is no shame in that. And yeah, eventually I got well, but my police career was was over. And yeah, some 20 years ago, I was medically retired for the police. And since then, I've kind of scratched a living in the media, writing, broadcasting and from time to time, making a fool of myself. It's fascinating. You've lived a fascinating life, fascinating story. And then you obviously wrote a book as well. Tell us about that. Well, I've written four books. The latest one is about the project that has dominated my life for the last two years and two months. I'm hunting a man. He's originally from Liverpool and he's unconvicted, but he is wanted in connection with two separate murders in Liverpool. The first is the shooting dead of a 16-year-old boy Yes, a child called Liam Kelly, 
on the 19th of June 2004. Others have been convicted in connection with that crime and the court has been told pull the trigger. But he remains unconvicted but very much wanted. The second murder that he's wanted for is another ghastly crime, the murder of a 22-year-old young woman called Lucy Hargreaves, who herself was the mother of three young children. She was blasted to death with a shotgun in her own home, and then the home and Lucy's body were set alight. They're both long stories. It's the subject of a BBC podcast called Manhunt, Finding Kevin Powell, which has been downloaded over three million times, won an award, and was the BBC's most popular uh, true crime podcast of 2020. And I say these things because I'd love people to listen to it. This hunt dominates it's my life. And not only was it the subject of the podcast, but it's the subject of my most recent book published last year, which is called Manhunt. And the book and the podcast are two very different vehicles. They're very different things. Unfortunately, thousands of people have thoroughly enjoyed both. So people would like to do that. The book can be purchased for way less than a pint in a central London bar. It's only four quid on places like Amazon and the works and places like that. So I'm never expecting a royalty check out of it, but that's not the point. This yeah. is about PAL, not profit. So if you'd like to listen uh, to either of them, the books on audio as well, and the podcast, if we believe in truth over lies, right over wrong, justice over injustice, stand in a court of law, and answer the allegations that are made against it. 100%. Again, the BBC podcast is called Manhunt. You can also download and, and purchase the book right now. I'm sure it's on Kindle as well if you want to uh, follow up and delve into that story a bit more. The book is called Manhunt as well. Uh, Peter, thanks a million for giving up your time. Like, I think we could talk to you every night for hours on end and it would, you'd be, wouldn't be any less interesting or fascinating. It, it, it's unbelievable what you've experienced and witnessed and thanks so much for giving up your time. Is there any um, anywhere online you'd recommend people go to? Either uh, do you have a, a website or social media handles that you'd like to give a quick mention of before we wrap? PeterBlexley.com. So that's PeterBlexley, B-L-E-K-S-L-E-Y.com. Links to the books, the podcast, updates about the hunt for Kevin Powell and all that kind of stuff can be found there. Thank you both very much. You're listening to the Room 104 Podcast with Cormac Moore and Sir Shalong. FM 104. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 